I wanted to share just a memory. Like, I have this very nostalgic memory of my childhood. Uh, like, in the winter time, when we're getting out of the evening church service, it's dark outside, it's cold outside, getting in the car with my family to drive home. And there was a radio show called Unshackled. Have you guys ever heard of it? Yeah. Okay, good. And I remember riding home in the car and the little organ riff at the beginning would come on. And that memory like really stands out in my mind as like listening to those stories, even as a kid, was really powerful. And recently I, I just remembered it and I, I Googled it and they're, they're still producing the show. There's thousands of episodes and it's a ministry of Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago. And it's just incredible, the stories. They're true stories of people who have come from really difficult situations, difficult backgrounds, and have come to the Lord, and there's radical transformation in their lives where the chains are broken and they're truly set free. And, and so that memory, like, is, it's just still impactful to me. I even listened to an episode the other day because it's so incredibly helpful to build our faith to listen to those testimonies. And so today, it's like, I'm supposed to wrap up the series on membership. Like, what does it mean to be a member here? What are our priorities of being a member here? How do we participate? Um, but before I even get into any of that, I want to put before you the vision of those testimonies of people coming to the Lord and their lives being transformed radically. And even as I was preparing this week, I watched a, a promo for this se the third season of The Chosen. I don't know if you've seen the, the, that show, but I put on the little teaser uh, trailer and they give you a flashback to um, the first episode of the show after Mary Magdalene has been healed by Jesus. And she looks at Nicodemus and she says, all I know is that I was one way and now I'm completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. I knew this was going to happen, Dan. I told you. <laughs> Just one second of watching that, and it, I lost it. Because of the mercy of God that is so rich, that he's so kind to pour out on sinful people who are broken and messed up, who have gone through incredible pain. But the thing that happens that fixes that is an encounter with Jesus. Like the song says, I'm living proof of what the mercy of God can do. If you knew me then, you'd believe me now. And he turned my whole life upside down. He took the old and he made it new. And that's what the mercy of God can do. We can't talk about being a member of a church without that. We can't be a member of a church without that. We'll never participate in a church without that. 
And so it's the mercy of God that I put before you this morning as the thing that we must do everything from. That has to be the thing. The mercy of God that's rooted in his beautiful, perfect character in nature. That love that was so great that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the thing that transforms us and makes us new. And that's the vision of our church here, is to see that happening again and again and again. We want to see people coming to a place of encountering that mercy so that their lives are completely transformed. And for those who have experienced that, the reality is that Jesus is still transforming us until we meet him face to face. And so there are countless more encounters with his mercy to be had that bring about transformation. It is nothing that we can do in our flesh. It's the spirit of God working in us that does that by the mercy of God. And so I want to just say, like, that is the thing. To participate in a church, to think about being a member here, has to be rooted in that mercy, which is why we called the church Mercy Gate. That we would be, as individuals, the thing through which God's mercy flows to others so that more encounter that grace and mercy. And so when we talk about what it means to participate as a member here, this is supposed to get at the questions of like, okay, so what do you expect me to do or not do? How often do you expect me to be here? How much do you expect me to give? What do you expect of me as a member of this church? Stay tuned for the answer to that question. But as we think about our priorities as a member of this church, priority, simply stated, is something that's regarded as more important than something else, right? It's a very basic definition. But in my personal experience, the priorities are the things that have to get done. There's some things that need to get done. There's some things that I want to get done. And the priorities are the things that have to get done. And so just to, like, set this before you, if you think about all the priorities in life, um, if we took a multiple choice quiz, I think everybody in here would say God is number one. I hope. I think everyone would say that. Typically, we think, like, God is our number one priority, and our family or maybe our friends our, our second priority, and then church would be our third priority, and then anything else would be kind of number four or later. Typically. I know there's nuance to that. Um, but typically when we think of priorities, you guys picture in your mind a pie chart. Off, like We think about, okay, like how, what percentage of my life should I give to this piece of the pie? And what percentage of my life should I give to this piece of the pie? And we kind of filter our lives and our priorities through that lens. Where our lives are divided up into separate portions that are different sizes. And we're constantly asking, okay, like what percentage? Where does this fit into my pie chart? Well, let's get into Proverbs chapter 3. 
I'm going to be honest with you. I, I cannot do a full in-depth treatment of the chapter this morning. Um, there's just a few highlights that I, I felt the Lord just kept bringing me back to Proverbs chapter 3. Just highlight these things. And so I just want to begin reading from Proverbs 3. And hear this as a father's loving teaching to his children. That's the context of this writing. It's a, a, a wise father, King Solomon, writing to his son under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who is writing on behalf of God the Father to his beloved children. And he writes this in chapter 3, verse 1. My son or daughter, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, but bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. And so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil, for it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would open up our ears and our minds and our hearts to hear the highlights from this text as it relates to our partnership in this church body, in this family of God that's been redeemed by your mercy, Lord. Teach us the things that you want us to hear in Jesus' name. Before I say anything else, I want to highlight the fact that those verses give us a lot of promises. Do you guys hear those promises? I'm just going to rattle through them again for your ears. The Lord says, length of days and years of life and peace will be added to you. Favor and good success in the sight of God and man you will find. Your paths will be made straight. You will receive healing to your flesh and bones. And your barns and your vats will be filled and bursting with produce and wine. This text promises us blessing. And anytime we say that, automatically people's antennas go up and say, okay, are we talking prosperity go gospel here? Because the fact that prosperity gospel preachers say, if you follow Jesus, you will receive health and you will receive wealth. And I want to just clearly state, those promises are biblical promises of God that we can rely on with full faith and assurance. The difference between a prosperity preacher and what I'm about to say is that we never know when 
or how we will receive those blessings, and we don't know exactly what they're going to look like, but we can have full assurance that when God promises something, he will fulfill that promise. Amen? Do you guys believe that? Okay. So I want to be clear. I'm not saying that if we do a particular thing, God will give us a particular thing. Do you guys hear that? Okay. But when God promises something, he will fulfill it. The mystery is we don't know when, we don't know how, we trust that he will. And so these promises are things that we can hold on to. And if we get through our entire life on this earth with nothing, the blessing will come in full when we stand before Jesus, will it not? Yet he also does bless here and now. So with that in mind, verse 1 says that we must not forget the teaching of the Lord, which implies that it's possible to forget the things that we know about Jesus, right? It's possible to move on without the teaching that we know. And he says that you actually have to let your heart keep his commandments. We all know that God is a God who is concerned with the heart of people, not the outward appearance. And this verse tells us that it's our hearts that have to be the thing that keep the commandments before anything else, right? There has to be an attentiveness to the commandments of the Lord so that our hearts can, so that it can sink down to the deepest parts of our soul and he actually is saying, protect that. Like, keep the commandments by protecting them in your heart. That's the place where it has to start. An attentiveness to the word of the Lord. How many times does scripture say, Dan, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Amen. Pay attention to how you hear. If you have ears to hear, then hear. There is an attentiveness that has to happen that your heart can receive what the Lord is saying. And that attentiveness has to come by way of the Holy Spirit's help, right? So listen carefully to what the Lord says. Then he goes on in verse 3. Like, the, the commandments of the Lord, you're, you're to keep them in your heart, but also... It's to be outward. He says, don't let steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, but actually bind them around your neck and write them on your heart. So this is something that comes from the inside and is visible outside. This is the imagery of like carrying something around on your neck. Like people see it, right? And it's not just a, a cross around your neck. It's like the very character of God being displayed on the outside of yourself wherever you go. That's what he's saying. When you protect the words of God, the commandments of God in your heart, you guard them, you listen carefully and attentively. The result is that on the outside, the commandments are then manifested for others to see what God says and what he's like. These words, steadfast love and faithfulness, go all the way back to Exodus 34 where the Lord declares his name, Yahweh, the Lord, the God who is merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love. 
The Lord is telling us, like, that is to be our lifestyle. The steadfast love of the Lord and his faithfulness are to be visible to everyone. And it starts by keeping those commandments in your heart. And those commandments, the things that the Lord says, going back to Exodus again, after the Lord reveals his character as the faithful, loving, merciful God, what does he do? He gives Moses what? The law. He gives him things to do and other things to not do. The character of God brings us in as his servants, right? We were created for him, right, to do whatever he wants us to do. And so as he reveals his character, he also says, here's my will for you. Here's my commands for you. Keep these in your heart. Be attentive to them. Wear them on the outside so everyone can see them. Write the, the law on your doorposts, on your forehead. Write it in your heart, everywhere. Like, you are to completely absorb the Lord's will for your life, that others would see it. The Lord is merciful and gracious and abounding in steadfast love, so we should never forsake those things. Then he goes on in verse 5. You guys know this verse so well. It's written everywhere. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart. This is a wholehearted dependence upon the Lord and that character, that steadfast loving mercy. We're trusting in it with our whole heart. And so this is like the first thing I want to tie it into our priorities as members here is that we would be people who are wholeheartedly trusting in the Lord, which sounds basic Christianity, but it's something that is so necessary and so profound from moment to moment, right? Don't forget my teaching. It's so easy to move on from this, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him. How often do we take this verse and trample on it? We know it, we repeat it, we write it down, we put it on our mirror, we put stickers everywhere, books, coffee cups, everywhere. Yet how often do we forsake the actual commandment in that verse? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and in all your ways acknowledge him. I want to be clear, too, the word acknowledge here is not a baseball player hitting a home run and pointing to the sky. But that's so often how we think about it. Like, if I just acknowledge God, if I just like, okay, yeah, God, okay, got it, now I'm going to move on. That's not what the verse is saying. The word means to know God. It means to have fellowship with God and it means to be aware of God. And so in all your ways, you are to be knowing God, being aware of God, and having fellowship with God. That's a drastically different meaning than just like, okay, yes, God, all right, now what am I going to do? Do you guys catch that distinction? Like, this is a call to complete dependence in every moment. We come to points of decision so many times during the day 
And the Lord is saying, every time you come to a point of decision, you are to be in fellowship with me before you make the decision. You are to choose my commands in every decision, not your will, but my will. That's what the Lord is saying. It's, it's a constant, moment-by-moment moment fellowship with the Lord. And so what does that look like practically as a church member? There's three specific ways that this text gives us to know the Lord in all our ways. And the first one is that we come before the Lord in reverence. In verse 7, it says, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. As Dan mentioned a, a few weeks ago, this would be the holiness piece of being a, a church member. The holiness piece is that you know the Lord in all your ways, first and foremost, by constantly living in reverence and awe before the face and the glory of God. And maybe, maybe this is helpful. Maybe I'm completely wrong. Correct me if I am, Dan. But when we talk about like the manifest presence of God and being aware of his presence, Maybe we get caught up in the language of that. I don't know. But living in fear of the Lord is like they're the same thing. To live in the fear of the Lord is to constantly be aware of his holiness, to constantly be humbled before his majesty, to constantly be aware of who God is in such a way that we don't think of ourselves as wise as the beginning of verse 7 says, so that we don't lean on our own understanding, as verse 5 says, because we're so aware of who God is and we're living before his face, letting his commandments be kept and preserved in our hearts. We're always aware of his will. And it's that concept that Proverbs says is the beginning of wisdom. Do you lack wisdom? Man, I lack wisdom often. And Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is where you find the wisdom that is needed for the moment. To come into the presence of the Lord before his face in humbleness is where wisdom is gained. Not from your mind, but from the Lord. But to come before the Lord in that way, in reverence and awe, requires you to turn away from evil. It requires you to do battle against sin in your life. It requires you to constantly be on guard for the attacks of the enemy that you might run away from evil, like flee evil, the scriptures say, and run to that holy presence of the Lord. There's a constant moment-by-moment moment awareness of his glory where we live before his face. We live in his presence preserving his will and commandments in our heart that we might keep them ever before us. So the first way to know him in all your ways is to come before him in fear and reverence and awe. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Hebrews 12 talks about coming before the Lord who is an all-consuming fire. He is holy. and We must come before him with reverence and awe. And a sacrifice of praise from our lips that is acknowledging him, not just giving him assent mentally, but knowing him in fellowship. 
the second thing that the text tells us, like, this is how you can know the Lord in your going, in your, in your doing throughout the day, is that you honor him in your plenty. He says in verse 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all that you gain through your labors. So when we talk about being a member of the church, it's like we have an offering plate, which we forgot to put out. It's okay. <laughs> You've often heard about tithing and offering. And like people think about the tithe as, hey, I just give 10% of my paycheck. Um, so I just want to side note, if you want to go by the biblical definition of a tithe, in the Old Testament, the Lord actually required a tenth of one thing, a tenth of another thing, and a tenth of another thing every three years, which would be a third divided by three years. That's like almost a quarter of what you've earned. And so if we want to be like super literal in the Bible when it comes to tithing, the Lord's actually asking for way more than 10%. But when you look at the New Testament, and I'm going to try not to get on a soapbox here, the Lord doesn't command you to give 10% of your income to the church. This is not a New Testament command. The Lord tells us, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, to have a heart of generosity that, that does not withhold and that does not give out of obligation but a heart that wants to be generous to honor the Lord and is just like, I'm just going to give. I've decided in my heart, I'm going to do this willingly, I'm going to do it eagerly, and I'm going to do it to honor the Lord. And so as a church, like our standpoint on giving is that. It's not, if you sow a $1,000 seed, you will receive X, Y, and Z. We don't teach that here, we renounce that teaching, and we say that the Lord calls his people all of his people, regardless of income, regardless of class or wealth or whatever, to have a generous heart. Remember the widow who came to give her offering and she gave the two little mites and Jesus said that woman has given so much more than the wealthy person who has given from their wealth, but without a heart of generosity. And so in this text, like, one of the ways that we like, can know and demonstrate that we're acknowledging the Lord in all our ways is that we're honoring the Lord through generosity. Honoring the Lord with the best of what we earn and are given. Like we're taking the best. Not just that like 10%, I did the calculation. I'm going to give them the best. I'm going to give them the first. The first fruits literally mean the first fruits that come to the tree, right? The best that you've been waiting for this crop all season long. And here comes the first fruits, and you're excited. You want to eat that fruit. And the Lord says, the first fruits are actually mine. They're, they're consecrated to me for my, for my honor, right? And so... We honor the Lord with the best of all that we earn and are given. And I also want to give another side note. Like, what does it mean to honor the Lord with your wealth for us here and now? Because we don't go to the temple. We're not keeping the Levites alive with our grain offering. So what does that look like? I think it's uh, maybe helpful to mention that um, our money is not just like... We don't just put it in an offering plate and forget about it. The Lord is calling us to be intentionally 
sacrificial and generous for specific purposes. And so part of that is to sustain the ministry of a church. But the Lord is also like, always be aware of the needs of the saints. Maybe that's a saint who's not in our church, but another church. Maybe it's a family member. We're to be always looking for people who are in need to help them. Later on in the, in the text, it says it's, it's wrong to withhold good from a person if you have the, the capability to give to do it for them. And so the Lord would also say, like, don't just give offering to a church, but always be aware of the needs of both people in the church and outside the church. And there's also countless people around the world who are doing gospel ministry as missionaries, parachurch ministries. Like, there's lots of stuff that is working for the kingdom of God. And he's saying, like, honor me with your wealth. So let's be intentional about looking for creative ways that we can use our financial resources to further the kingdom of God. Because that is what it's all about. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is all about seeking first the kingdom of God. And then he says everything else is going to be added to you if that's your priority. If that's the number one thing that has to get done, the advancement of God's kingdom on earth, then everything else is going to be taken care of. And so we can, we can trust in the Lord and demonstrate that trust and have fellowship with him in that trust as we're generous with our financial resources. But I also would add into that, everybody has the same resource allotted in the same amount of time per day, and that is hours. We all have the same amount of time, like if we all live for one year together, we all have the same amount of hours, right? And so we honor the Lord not just with our treasure, but also with our time and also with our talents, the ways he's gifted us. And I would include, like, even though the text says honor the Lord with your wealth, uh, I think the biblical principle also applies to those other resources. We honor the Lord with the first fruits of our time, and we honor the Lord with the first fruits of our talents. And so, like, as a church, as a member of the church, how do I honor the Lord with those three areas? My treasures, my time, and my talent. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not going to give you a number. I'm not going to give you a percentage because the Lord will give that to you personally. I will not dictate how many hours you need to be here. I will not dictate how many Sundays you need to be here in a year because the Lord will convict you of what you need to do. He will lead you and he will tell you. And so in the, in the lens of Proverbs 3, like how do I know how much I should give to the church? How do I know how much time I should give to the church? How do I know what I should do at the church? Is coming back to the Lord, remember, fearing the Lord in awe and reverence, moment by moment, in dependence on him, seeking his will for each decision point, and he will make it clear to you. Ask the Lord, what do you want from me? Just ask him and listen for his answer, and he will give it to you. I can't tell you how many times Caitlin and I sit down like, to decide something like this, and we pray about it separately, and we say, all right, what, what answer did you get? Is it always almost exactly the same every time? When you seek the Lord's will in these ways, he will answer you. And so I will not 
I will not tell you a specific number because I think the Lord has different things for each of us. Each of us is in a different season of our life right now. And the Lord knows that. The Lord has planned accordingly. And the Lord also says, I want your first fruits. I want the best of your life. I want you to honor me with the first fruits. And so we honor him when we have plenty in our wealth, but we also honor him when we have nothing. He goes on to say, don't despise the Lord's discipline. Don't be weary of his reproof. You know, it's so difficult when you look at circumstances in your life, hard things, painful things. We all, we all wrestle with this. Is this the Lord disciplining me? Is this the Lord punishing me? Is this the Lord judging me? Is this Satan attacking me? Is this a consequence of my own choices? Have you guys wrestled with that before? The answer is yes. <laughs> we just, like, there's mystery in that. That's the whole book of Job, is his friends trying to figure that out. What did you do wrong? Nothing. You must have done something wrong. That's the whole book of Job. But what is clear is that the Lord does use really difficult circumstances to discipline and reprove us. That's clear in Scripture. He takes really difficult things that are a result of sin and redeems them into a thing that refines us into pure gold. Remember that from the New Testament. Count it all joy when you come into trials. Because that's a testing that produces faith. It produces endurance. produces steadfastness. It produces stronger faith in the Lord in a, in, a, in a way that compels us to take further steps of faith into further difficulty because we know the Lord is using it to refine us. And so the Lord says, here's another way that you can trust me in all your ways. When the Lord is disciplining you, and again, it's like, hey, I don't know if this is your discipline or not, Lord, but I'm going to view this trial, this suffering, as something that you're using. Because you love me, you're going to turn this into something good as a father who delights in his son. And here's the thing. We don't despise that discipline. We don't grow weary of that reproof. When we're going through the trials, the Lord is like, hey, cling on to me. And don't grow weary of it because I'm working this out for good. I'm using this for my redemptive plan. And so let that love be the thing that keeps you going. So I can trust the Lord in all my ways, even in really difficult suffering, knowing that the Father loves his sons and daughters. I can trust him in all my ways by coming before him in reverence and awe, always living before the face of God. I can trust him with all the best of my time, my treasures, my talents, the gifts he's given to me. I want to honor him with that. And when I'm suffering, I want to honor him in that. I don't want to waste my suffering. I want to find his redemptive plan through it. Those are the three things in those verses that the Lord is like, hey, this is what it looks like to trust in me in all your ways. And it's not going to make sense to the mind. Do you guys notice that? It's not going to make sense to the mind. Don't lean on your own understanding. It won't make sense. 
The kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom where the things that make sense to the mind don't make sense in God's kingdom. If you want to go high, you got to go low, right? And so from a membership perspective in this church, it's like, I'm not going to tell you numbers. I'm not going to tell you hours. I'm not going to keep an attendance log. I'm going to compel you guys, like urge, persuade you guys to live your life as a wholehearted servant of the Lord who keeps and preserves the Lord's will in such a way that this is always what your life looks like. And that lifestyle is developed by utter dependence on the Holy Spirit. Because how fickle and weak are we? If this depended on your ability to just do it, you would fall flat every time. But it's the grace of God and the mercy of God that I mentioned at the beginning. The Spirit of God coming to us in all the grace that God gives, sustaining us, that he keeps us when we fail. And so think back to that pie chart. Like, how big is the personal life slice of pie? How big is the God slice of pie? How big is the church slice of pie? I want you to flip that into a 3D apple pie. Tyler, if you could throw that up there. I love apple pie, especially warm apple pie with ice cream. And so think about your membership in this church, not as a pie chart, but as an apple pie, where the best part, the filling, is the Lord Jesus Christ. The best, sweetest part is Jesus all the time. And the structure that Jesus has established in the world to house that beautiful, sweet glory is the church, the living temple of God. And so the crust of the pie is the thing that contains that sweet filling. And then on the top, you have that beautiful latticework. Thank you for telling me that terminology. The latticework that is woven together the church is made up of families, right? The church is a family made of families and individuals who are woven together into the crust that contain that filling. And so when you think about your life, it's like every bite of your life should be all of it. Every bite of your life should exude the glory of God, the personality of your family, and the unity of your church. Every encounter someone has with you, they should get all of that. And anything else in your life, the, the fun stuff, the recreation stuff, is the ice cream that goes on top. It just adds to the sweetness of it. But it's every bite, every encounter. Think also of, the, of a sponge that's full of liquid. Every time you bump a full sponge, the liquid comes out, right? Every time someone encounters a member of this church, my heart, my desire is that they encounter you, Jesus, and Mercygate. And so don't think about your life as divided into these separate categories and compartments, but it's all together at the same time. And so even, like, that means practically, hey, if I can't be here on a particular day at a particular time, I can trust that you're still going to be serving the Lord wherever you are, that you're going to be focused on the Lord, aware of his presence, honoring his presence, coming before him in awe and reverence, 
and that you're still my brother or sister in Christ. And so we're still accountable to each other, even if you're on vacation around the world. You're still committed to the body of believers that you have fellowship with, right? And as we talked about a few weeks ago, like the people that you commit yourself to in a local church, the pastors that you commit yourself to, it doesn't matter where you go in the world, you're still accountable to them. I'm still accountable to you guys no matter where I am in the world because we're members of this church together. And so wherever you go, whatever you're involved in, my heart for you is that you would exude the glory of God, the presence of God, the personality and the, the, the unique things of your family that the Lord has gifted you with, and also the accountability and the fellowship of this local church. Does that make sense? You guys catch what I'm saying? Like, we're not to divide our lives into compartments, but the Lord intent, like, he's, he's really kind in that he's designed it in such a way to streamline things because he knows if we try to compartmentalize, we get stretched way too thin and we never feel like we can do enough or give enough to what we're in at the moment. And the Lord's like, simplify it, streamline it. Wherever you go, you're my ambassador of reconciliation and you're committed to a body of believers. And so that's my heart for you. As a member of this church, your, your pie should always be the sweetness of Christ in the unity of this church if you're a member here. And your families are such an important part of that. Like, what if, what if we could streamline everything to, like, when I'm with my family, there's also discipleship happening, there's, there's worship happening, there's recreation happening, we're honoring the Lord, like, all of those things happening at the same time is how he designed it, so that we never are stretched too thin. Um, the Lord does not want to fill our plates he actually wants to remove things from our plates so that we are focused on the thing that matters the most, which is him. Remember the series on busyness. I think we like, I think we could benefit from going back and taking advantage of some of those principles again. Uh, I feel even in my own life, uh, you forget the teaching, right? My son, do not forget this teaching. It's so easy to move on from important, helpful things. And I really believe that as we close out this series on membership, I want you guys to catch that heart from me and Dan. Like, we want the Lord to have your whole heart all the time. We want you to be totally dependent on the Lord all the time. Leaning not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, knowing him, having fellowship with him and choosing his will over your own by his grace. So with that, um, I think I want to close. you have anything, Dan? Okay. Um, next week, I know there's, there may be more practical things that I didn't answer, and uh, next week we're going to have a Q&A for membership stuff. Like, hey, if, you, if we didn't answer a question... Next week is the first week of Advent. Um, but if you have a question on a practical matter that we didn't answer, next Sunday is your chance. And um, there are going to be significant changes over the next couple months, and we'll talk about that next week um, and the following week as well. Um, 
But, man, I just really, my heart for you guys is to hope in that radical mercy of God that transforms in such a way that, like, we're not worried about, like, oh, no, I feel guilty because I missed something. Or I feel like Dan and James are mad at me because I wasn't there. Or I feel like I'm not giving enough. Like, get out of the condemnation and the guilt and get your heart before the Lord and, like, hear that teaching of a loving father to his son. I want you to trust in me with your whole heart all the time. You know, that's our heart and our vision for this church is that we're walking that out. Trusting in the Lord at all times, not, acknowledge, not, uh, not, not leaning on our own understanding, but knowing him, acknowledging, having fellowship him in every decision. Uh, that he would be honored through our lives. That he would receive this sacrifice of praise from our lips. And so, Lord, I pray for this church as we are about to go through another season of just kind of not sure what's next not sure how you're going to do what you want to do, but we do want to declare that this is a place where we trust in you, Lord. And I do want to ask, Spirit of God, for your help where, where we feel the weakness, like we feel our own lack of faith so often. Lord, we repent of that. We confess it to you. And we ask for your help in developing us into those servants of God who are devoted wholeheartedly. Lord, we want to really grow in, our, in what it means to love you. Lord, we want to be extravagant in our love for you. We want to be faithful in our love for one another. And so, Lord, I just ask for your grace again. I come before your, your throne in a time of need, and I ask for your grace to help with these things. Lord, that we would um, come to a place of, of certainty and assurance that we are trusting in you because our lives are, are demonstrating it through these, like through generosity in radical ways, through suffering well, through honoring your presence, Lord. I, I pray that you would develop those things in us. We cannot do those things in our flesh. We need your help, Spirit of God. So would you come in and, and just make these truths come to life in us, awaken us to life, quicken our hearts, Lord, that we would be your trustworthy, faithful stewards and your servants who, who have done well. Lord, we want, we want to get before you one day and hear, well done. You took what I gave you and you multiplied it. Lord, I pray for that to be this church. We would take what you've given us and that we would multiply it. So, Lord, would you come with your mercy and flow like the, the river of living waters that you are upon us and through us, Lord, and, and just do your work among us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
that 